This is Walk to Wealth, episode 14. My name is John Mendez, and I am your host. Welcome to Walk to Wealth, where I motivate and inspire people new to the world of personal finance by letting you all in behind the scenes of someone who's still on his way. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. For all my new listeners, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you can make it. For all the OGs in the building, welcome back home. Thank you for all the loyalty and all the support. Hey everyone, welcome to the Walk to Wealth podcast. We have a very special guest here. I'm here with my good friend Carly Worth. Uh, Carly, for anyone that may not know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your elevator pitch? Hey, everybody. So I'm Carly from Connecticut. I got into real estate about 16 months ago, and it has been nothing short but amazing and life-changing. And obviously, like anything, especially when you're new to it, you have your ups and downs. But, um, you know, kind of just riding the wave and figuring out which direction you need to go that's best going to fit for what you're trying to accomplish. So, yep, 16 months and... um, going strong. That's amazing. And you touched upon it a little bit. Um, Tell us a little bit about your walk to wealth. Like what happened before real estate that got you into it? And uh, what kind of, you know, helped you get kind of, you know, to the success that you've been achieving already so so early in the game? So funny story. Um, I actually used to be a personal trainer and I was going to open up my own gym prior to COVID. I was managing a gym at the time. Um, And then obviously COVID happened and that threw everybody's life upside down. So I was walking in Newport, Rhode Island, and I had been thinking about real estate for a little bit. Some of my friends have been like, over the years, Carly, you need to get into real estate, like you would kill it. And I was like, "Mm, whatever, like I had such a passion for fitness. And um, so I was walking and there were a group of girls. And the only part that I heard one girl say, it's like, it stood out to me. She was like, I'm going to get into real estate. And I was like, okay, God, I hear you. Like, thank Mm -hmm. you universe. Thank you for that sign. Um, so when I got home, I actually started my classes like immediately. And, you know, it took me a couple months and studied for the test, which, you know, is everyone kind of had me overwhelmed about and it ended Mm -hmm. up not being as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, so I got into the business and my first eight days of being licensed, I had my first two deals under contract, um, closed my first deal in I think 28 days of being licensed. And that was a house in Westport, Connecticut, which my client actually just did a full gut renovation and reconfiguration. And we just sold it, uh, about a month and a half ago for 850,000. So it was a good, it was a very good project. It was my first one and to see it just come to fruition was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so far so good in, uh, the real estate world. I already had my first million dollar sale last mm-hmm. year. Um, and yeah, so kind of, kind of just working from there, but investors is definitely like my niche and that's where mm-hmm. I'm, that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's amazing. First of all, congrats to you on your first million dollars listing. You're pretty much big time now. Thank you. <laughs> and then um, you said a, a quick little uh, keyword in there, gut renovation. For anyone that may not know, can you just explain that really quickly as uh, what is a gut renovation? What does that even mean? So basically, there was nothing from that house 
existing anymore in the reno. So it, the floor plan was completely changed. So architecturally redesigned, the only existing portion of that house was fractions of the foundation. Um, so like, you know, the framing was new, the sheetrock, pretty much everything from top to bottom, that house was brand new. Mm-hmm. Sheesh. And you kind of mentioned a little bit how, how you work with investors. Um, is that like your specific niche? And how did you end up deciding that you wanted to work with investors going into real estate? So that is, that is where I focus. Um, I do a lot of off market deals. I work with a lot of wholesalers like nationwide, not even just in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I got into that, actually one of, one of my classmates from real estate school had reached out to me once I got licensed and asked if I wanted to help him find his next investment property. And I had no clue to me, real estate was just residential buyers and listings. Like I didn't know about the investor world. Mm -hmm. So after talking with him, I actually made a, you know, a big connection pretty early on with a wholesaler who had a couple deals that, you know, were going to work for him. So we got that, that was the week I got the two properties under contract. It was also the Mm -hmm. end of the year. It was, you know, middle December. So no one in, you know, the office was there to help me. So I was like, instead of waiting three weeks before I can like get any training and do anything, like I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to learn. And I started watching YouTube videos every morning, um, just trying to learn from the investor standpoint. Obviously, it's very different. It's all a numbers game. They don't Mm. care what color the walls are. They don't care if there's, you know, cat poop in the middle of the floor. Like they don't care. It's all about the numbers. There's really no emotion involved at all. Um, And that's something that, you know, has really worked for me. So that's kind of, that is a hundred percent my, my niche for sure. I don't even, I might've had a couple, I've done like short sales for sellers and stuff like that, but otherwise everything is investor based, um, Mm -hmm. in Connecticut and outside of Connecticut as well. Really? And so, um, with everything being investor based, like who did you have to meet? I know you said one guy from the real estate school, but like, how, who do you have to network to get in touch with investors? Because I feel like that world is kind of is kind of closed off to a lot of people, yeah. and not really closed off, but it's like a lot of people don't really know about it, and the people that kind of know about it don't know how on earth to get involved actually in it. So it's definitely a completely different world. Um, I mean, I've actually. Other than my listings, like my Westport listings, I don't think I've ever had an inspection. Like none of my investors have ever done an inspection. They show up with their GC, they do their walkthrough, they know their numbers and they Mm. put in an offer. There's no contingency. So it is very, very, very different from regular residential real estate where you're dealing with appraisals and you're dealing with mortgages. I have actually never even dealt with a mortgage. So completely different. Um, all of my clients use hard money. I have the best hard money lender in the world um, two, two who funds deals everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before, sorry for interrupting. Um, you said a GC and hard money. For anyone that doesn't know, what are, what are those two things? So a GC is a general contractor. Um, 
a lot of my investors have their contractors that they work with regularly. Mm. Um, and then hard money is basically private money. Um, the interest on it is a little bit higher, but it's more meant for investors, you know, who are closing in an LLC. It's not their primary home. They don't want their personal assets to be held liable. So they close in an LLC. Um, Mm. the money is a little bit more expensive and it's usually shorter term, but you can get, you know, loans to rehab the property. So you'll get like monthly or weekly draws, um, to pay for the renovations, which most of the time are hundred percent funded. So it's really meant for people who are in the real estate space to either flip or do the Burr method. So they're rehabbing the property to increase the value. So Burr, mm. um, if you're not familiar, is buy. No, I'm sorry. Buy, rehab, rehab, rent. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that a lot of my clients do do that. So I've had, you know, multiple clients close multiple deals with me in a year and that's kind of their game plan. And then, you know, some people take a little break and go back to flipping again for quicker cash. But once Mm -hmm. they refinance, they get their cash back and then they just invest into the next property. Yeah. And so... Um, I know you said that um, the investor world is like a completely different world. What are some of like the the main pros and cons that you've so far experienced in your, what, 16 months in the business dealing with mainly investors? So pros would definitely be, for me, I'm a very relationship oriented person. So mm-hmm. for me, having those repeat customers and those clients, I should actually call them those repeat clients. Um, I'm able to really build that rapport with them because I continuously do deals with them. And when, you know, they're ready for their next investment property, they'll reach out to me. Um, Or if I find something off market that might fit, you know, their criteria. So it's a very good like relationship based um, Mm -hmm. versus, you know, in residential real estate, if somebody buys a house, they might not move for another 20 years. Um, Although you will get more referrals from friends and family, I still do get referrals. you know, now that my name is kind of out there in Connecticut for real estate investor friendly agent, um, I get, you know, a lot of referrals that way, people that have worked with me or have heard about me. So mm-hmm. that is helpful. Um, but it's definitely the investor space is definitely not for everybody. A con could be you feel maybe a little bit at the end of the day, it's the investor's choice. If they're going to go in on a property, you can provide them, you know, the comps, you can tell them, Hey, you know, this is where the market was. This is where it is now. Nobody knows where it's going to go though. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, um, you feel a little bit of pressure, um, because it's kind of out of your control. Like you don't know how great the work is going to turn out. You don't know if they're going to really do everything that they should do to get top dollar for that house. So it's something that you're kind of a little out of control of things can mm-hmm. change. Um, but you know, the investors who know what they're doing, they take accountability and they know exactly what they need to do. However, when you're working with a newer investor, that's definitely something that could maybe cause a little bit of a burden on you and feel a little bit of pressure. But um, I just try to keep in mind at the end of the day, I'm guiding them to the facts and it's their job with their contractor to deliver the product. Yeah, and how did you become so intentional about, you know, working with investors and 
like strictly only investors. How did you become so intentional about that and choosing who you want to work with? I think honestly, like doing my first two deals so quickly with investors and like having that relationship, I think it really um, pushed me to keep going down that down that path. And the more connections I had and the more connections mm. I got, um, it's just propelled me so much further in my career to the point where now I have, you know, people who can buy $20 million apartment buildings. And if they don't want it, they have people who do. So it's just, I just kept networking, networking, networking. I would say like my first six months, I, I was just networking my butt off to get those huge connections. And then once you get a couple of those connections, it's kind of just like a snowball effect and it just keeps mm. going and going and going. So, you know, now I have some really top people who also have become friends who want to see me succeed. And they've given me, you know, that a little bit, a little bit of assistance to get me there as well. Mm. And with all the networking, was it like um, you just going up to random investor meetups or like was it strategic? Were you like specifically trying to invest with people that you wanted to be like or did you invest with like people who you wanted to do business with? How, how did you go about doing that? So I, I use mostly social media to network. Um, and if I can't drive this point home anymore you have to be so intentional with who you work with because there are some people who will suck the life out of you. Mm -hmm. And I learned that lesson really early on. I was completely burnt out. I had a few clients who were taking up way too much time texting me at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, midnight. And, you know, in, you feel inclined to have to cater to their every need, but it becomes to the point where it's almost toxic and too codependent and it's too much handholding. Um, so I have learned over the past year to be very, very, very intentional with who I work with and make sure that they're people that I want to surround myself with and that people that I want to be like. Um, everyone knows the saying, you, you're an average of the five people you hang out with. So if you're hanging out with you know, people who aren't successful in real estate, you're not going to learn anything from them other than how to fail. So I've surrounded myself at this point with people who are true investors and know what they're doing and have the capacity to do what they want to do. And um, that's kind of, that's kind of where it's led me. Yeah. And so do you have any particular like networking events that you went to? Like, uh, for example, like potentially CT Rio or was it, like uh, any conferences that you went to to do a lot of networking? Was it like, did you network by joining like Facebook groups and just DM mass DMing people? Like, how did you go about finding these people? Let's take a quick break. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. If you didn't know, part of my mission statement comes from Plato's quote, the duty of the enlightened is to enlighten the unenlightened. And so since you guys are getting enlightened with all the gems we're dropping on this podcast, it is now your duty to share this with a friend so that then they can become enlightened and continue on their walk to wealth. So make sure to stop what you're doing right now, share this with a friend so we can continue being amazing humans and helping others in their walks to wealth. So truthfully, I've never been to a networking event in my life. I'm actually in Dallas right now to go to an enormous networking event um, with a bunch of realtors and wholesalers and investors. So 
that should be very interesting. But no, I got in during COVID where there weren't really meetups. Um, I did join a bunch of Facebook groups. Um, you know, I was posting helpful and useful information, whether it was market statistics, um, or Facebook or like which platform? Yeah. I mean, yes, Facebook, I feel like Facebook has been my main source of business, to be honest with you. Um, Instagram, not so much lately. Um, I've been really trying to focus on Facebook and LinkedIn, um, to get those people as it, it helps me as well network outside of Connecticut, because I do get, um, a lot of deals outside of Connecticut. I have a few very big connections that, um, you know, work with bank owned properties. So I am getting things nationwide. So it was kind of my goal to be able to reach out to anyone and everyone, no matter where they were and whether they were buying a single family or a 50 unit apartment building. Mm. And so I, I want to touch upon a point you kind of talked about a little bit earlier with the uh, people running you dry and, you know, running around. And how did you eventually manage to get back that part of your life that you feel like was essentially kind of being robbed at the pretty much at the mercy of the, your investors? I hit a very, very, very low point. Um, One of my investors really kind of, quote unquote, did me dirty. Um, And ever since then, I was like, the amount of deals I could have done not wasting so much time on this one person. Mm -hmm. That's what really opened my eyes. Like I've spent countless hours on this deal. Like I poured my heart and soul into it. Um, and because something wasn't done properly, I then also had to suffer the consequences of it. So the people who suck you dry, who call you all the time, who want to have conversations, who don't respect that you have a life outside of work. Those are the people you need to eliminate because true business people will respect your space and your time as well as you being a person. So for a while, I didn't feel like a person. I had no boundaries. I allowed anyone to call me whenever they wanted to. And, you know, it got to the point where it was like, I don't feel like a person. Like I don't have Mm. a life outside of work. Work is consuming my every thought. I actually got super resentful and really started hating what I was doing because I was just to the point where I was so burnt out. Like I would go away on vacation And I'd be working the whole time and people wouldn't respect the fact that I told them I was on vacation. So I think it's just being very intentional with your boundaries as well, because like I said, real business people understand, they understand that you have a life and you need to have a life outside of work in order to be your best self and in order to be the best at your job. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, things like that, like the expectation in real estate is that Real estate is a 24 seven job and it, it really shouldn't be. I mean, if you have a doc, like if you need to go to the doctor, your doctor has, you know, set hours, grocery stores have set hours, gas stations have set hours, like every business has business hours. And I finally came to the conclusion that that's me. That's a me problem. That's me setting these expectations that, Hey, yeah, if you text me at 10 30 at night, you're going to get a reply. And I did it to myself. And I realized, Hey, you know what? I'm a person, I have a life and 
I can't, you know, just work like life can't be just work. Mm -hmm. So I got very intentional about resetting those boundaries and kind of having people respect those boundaries again. So I have an auto reply on my phone. Um, so if I put the driving mode on, that means it, it, it'll send an auto text that says I'm either in a meeting, it's after hours, I'll get back to you as soon as I can, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, so just setting something like that, people know now. If you're texting me at 8 o'clock at night, you're going to get replied to first thing in the morning. Um, I have an auto reply on my email that says, you know, due to high workload volume, I am answering emails at 11 a.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Eastern time. If anything requires immediate attention, please give me a call at my number. So it forces people also to be like, okay, well, is this actually important or like, am I just being annoying? Yeah. And that has really, really, really helped me because people kind of ask themselves like, oh, no, that's not that important. Like it can wait until you know, four o'clock or, Oh, it can wait till tomorrow at 11 when she replies to me. Um, so that I actually got from the four hour work week, which people who are struggling with setting boundaries, I would definitely say that that has, that has been very, very, very helpful for me. And how did you go about kind of resetting your boundaries with people that were kind of there before you set them? And now that you set your new boundaries, um, they still had the idea like, Hey, you know, I called her all the time before at 10 o'clock, you know, I could just keep calling her at 10 o'clock, you know, how do you reset the boundaries with those people? And if the boundaries, you know, weren't able to be set, how do you eventually like break off from those people? Cause a lot of people, not even just business life, but like relationships, a lot of people are mm-hmm. at jobs that they don't like, you know, a lot of people are, you know, in situations aside from their, you know, business. Yep. Where this happens all the time. So how do you go about, yep. you know, resetting those boundaries with people who were there pa- prior to you setting them and then breaking off with people who didn't respect the fact that you had boundaries now? That's a great question. Um, it definitely took, it took a little bit of time. Um, the people that I was close to, um, who I would talk to regularly, I kind of was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to start turning my phone off at, I think at the time it was like seven o'clock. Like, Hey, you know, I really need my family time. I'm interrupted during dinner every night. Like I can't keep living this way. Like I have to have my family time and I can't work 14 hours a day. Cause that's essentially what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who know and respect me respected that. Yeah. Um, I actually had one client was like, Hey, I really think, cause I was like, you know, he could tell I was like exhausted. He's like, I really think you need to start turning your phone off like at night. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I do. Um, so like I said, because it's a little different because I have relationships with these people, they do respect me. And by me implementing those boundaries, um, I think it only helped them have further respect for me. But if somebody is not going to respect those boundaries, then that's somebody you instantly know right off the bat, do not work with them. If somebody doesn't respect you and your time um, and expects you to be accessible 24 seven, don't, don't even, don't even waste your time because the stress is not worth it. And I've come to that conclusion this year too. Like there is no amount of money in the world that was worth the amount of stress I was putting myself through. I was like, I was at rock bottom. And so then let me ask you a question then. 
if you could go back in time right now, would you do it all over again to get to the success that you're at now? Or would you have waited another year or so? That is all for part one of the interview. Make sure to come back for part two so you can get the rest of the gems that we dropped in this interview. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. Again, I am your host, John Mendez. You can find me at John Mendez underscore Realtor and at Walk to Wealth on Instagram. Please make sure to subscribe and leave a review if you're loving the podcast so far. New episodes are released every Sunday. Look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Take care.